Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of The Waggle brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca and brought to you by me, Donovan Bennett. And it's not just another edition. It's a very special edition. We talked about International Women's Day just over a week ago, depending on when you're getting to this podcast. But we also talked about the fact that we want these conversations to be continual and not just happen when they're trending or when you're searching for them, but for them to happen all the time. And so we thought we'd have a conversation with women who've made a name for themselves in sports broadcasting through the sport of football. And all sides of the business, on camera, behind the scenes, writing. And the best female broadcaster I know is my mother-in-law, Sue Prestige. But she was busy. When I do this podcast, she watches my son. So I had to settle for a replacement. And that is my wife, Kate McKenna. You may know her as at CFL Kate or at TSN Kate, but she's just Kate to me. And she's going to come and help me interview these very special women. Hello, Kate. I love that you led with settled and just Kate. Thank you for that. I was going to say I was thrilled to be making my debut on The Waggle, uh, but now I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, we'll let the audience decide if they're thrilled that you're making your debut on The Waggle. But that audience specifically for you, even though you're not covering the CFL anymore from a day-to-day perspective, although still a lover of the league, that audience for you is still massive in terms of CFL fandom. You have more Twitter followers than me, and that's because you were known for, now you know, on the CFL broadcast, and you spent a year being the Tiger Cats in-house reporter. Before we talk to our guest, who I'll describe in a bit, what is your relationship with the sport of football, both professionally and personally? Well, I started out uh, auditioning for a job as the the host of Ticats TV, as as uh, you know, a few other members of the media have done yeah. uh, both before and after me. It's quite the position uh, in terms of propelling people into a CFL career. But I, I started, it's the feeder system. It is the feeder system. It is uh, started doing that and, and knew I liked CFL football a lot, but admittedly didn't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the league. I remember they said you're going to interview Bob Obilovich, and I. Had to do my research on that one, uh, but spent a year with the Ticats was was really awesome. And then spent a year at the CFL office in 2012, the 100th Grey Cup, traveled by train with the cup uh, all across Canada, which was just an incredible experience. And then spent six, seven years. I don't know. Motherhood has messed with my memory. Six, seven years with the CFL and TSM panel producing and uh, voicing and hosting. Now, you know, segments for them. Uh, and it's been it's been a blast. And football actually is where we met. So I suppose I should throw that in there. I too settled for someone. <laughs> well, it's funny. You mentioned that year you spent with the cup. And I don't think there's a person on this earth who's spent more time with the Grey Cup than Kate McKenna. You didn't win it. But it's like Kate McKenna, Warren Moon, Wally Buono. <laughs> like that in terms of cumulative time spent with the oldest football trophy in North America. That's saying something. So you are more than qualified to have this conversation. As are our guests, and we're going to break this up into two parts because this conversation is so important and so big. Um, Later on in the episode, we're going to talk to a couple of women who have touched the game from different levels. Christina Costable is the deputy editor 
of the CFL. She's also a freelance writer, so you can get more than football takes from her. Gemma Karsten Smith is a Vancouver-based sports reporter. She's writing for the Canadian Press, but has been up close and personal covering the BC Lions for quite some time. And speaking of coverage, Ariel Zare has two actual different perspectives in terms of covering football. She, if you're a Riders fan, and most of our audience is, know very well that whether it's CBC Saskatchewan or CJME News uh, from the radio perspective, she was a beat reporter for the Riders, but she made a cross over to some call the dark side. I would call it the good side. And she's now director of communications for the Riders. We're going to get all of their perspectives in a roundtable a little later on, but first, Kate's good friend and a role model for many in our industry, Sarah Orleski talks about her journey personally with the sport of football and what it's like covering the greatest game from the best seat in the house on the sidelines. And I think it's fair before we get to the episode to address the elephant in the room and one we have to address because Kate wouldn't come on this podcast unless we did. It's that given we're talking about diversity there isn't a lot of diversity among the women but we're hoping that in having these conversations in the future there could be a lot more diversity and we could see some bipoc representation and some intersectionality among the women who cover the sport fitterson yeah you know intersectionality is the word that jumps out at me and i think we can celebrate the fact that these women have made great strides within the league and that the league has become a place, you know, that is conducive for women to have these remarkable careers. But at the same time, we can acknowledge that there is a long way to go, particularly um, from, a, from a race perspective. This league may be, you know, uh, the land of opportunity for white women, but I think we can take a hard look at how it can be more inclusive for women of color, too. Yeah, diversity is strength, is the league's motto, but this certainly is an area the league could continue to be stronger in moving forward. So having said that, let's get to the conversation. So we have the pleasure to be joined by someone who really is only talking to us here so that she could talk to you, Kate, because uh, she's a good friend of yours. And she's showing us commitment because do you want to reference where she's talking to us from? Well, I mean, I would rather her describe it sure. because the interior of a women's washroom deserves as much description as possible. You know, you're not supposed to tell everybody where. You could have made it some sort of really glamorous location and not have to let people know that, yes, I am coming to you today from the women's washroom inside Bell MTS Place in downtown Winnipeg. <laughs> so, you know, television, once again, proving to be incredibly glamorous. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure and just to be just to be clear that I've just set up in here because it's a little spot that's away from everybody, and I'm the only woman that's on the crew, so I'm the only one that's ever in here. No, you could have let imaginations well, roll as have, to why but people could have assumed you were multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all the uh, the the people who reach out to you for mentorship, both I'm sure men and and women, you know, are assuming you're doing this in the back of. Uh, you know, a black car as you're being driven around town from your many TV obligations, just one thing for another. But no, you're doing this, uh, you know, from a washroom. So thank you uh, for, for. We could have for let them it. believe that. But that's <laughs> true. That's true. Before we get into, you know, some of that mentorship that I'm sure you have to do, given your place and space in our industry and specifically covering football, 
Uh, I want to get your perspective on someone who covered football alongside you and Chris Schultz, who, you know, we obviously lost and uh, leaves a big hole in our hearts and someone we talked about, you know, last week on the podcast. But before we get into your story, I just would love to hear your perspective on your relationship with him. Well, I didn't get to see Schultzy all the time, obviously, because he was in studio and always out the stadiums. But I felt from the moment that I met Chris Schultz that I felt as if I had a big brother almost watching out for me. And I know, Kate, you and I had kind of gone back and forth saying that that was almost a similar feeling that you had as well. He just, he was so respectful. He was so inquisitive about everything that was going on with my life. Every time I'd see him, he'd sit down and say, okay, tell me all about your little girl. What's she into right now? What's she doing? And it wasn't just a, how's the family? And he just, he constantly was, um, he was just, he was so thoughtful with everything and you just felt safe with him um, and really encouraged by him with everything that he would say, do. And one of the things that I always laugh, I was, I did a sideline hit one year, I mean, many years ago, and I wasn't wearing my rings at the time. And so I finished, I had forgotten them at home, which forgotten slash misplaced them. That's a whole nother podcast and story. <laughs> um, but I had, I had had to rush out to the game. Now I feel I need to justify this, that when my husband hears this, he understands. So I had had to rush out to the game and didn't have it, but I did the sideline hit. And so guess when I'm, I hold the microphone usually with my left hand and he noticed that I wasn't wearing my rings. And as soon as the sideline hit ended, I had an email from him right away. Sarah, I couldn't help but notice that you weren't wearing your rings. I just want to make sure that everything's okay with you. There's and checking on me, which it made me realize just apparently how observant some people could be when you're doing a sideline hit, but also just, he was so thoughtful and concerned to just want to immediately touch base and just check to see that everything was okay. And he was just a true gentle giant and just so heartbroken over the fact that he's not with us anymore. Your tweet so resonated with me, Sarah, because I absolutely felt that same big brother vibe from Schultz. And, and, you know, even though I, I saw him regularly, I only saw him for short amounts of time. I would go in, I would do, you know, throws to my, my now, you know, segments and get out of there. And in the grand scheme of things, those segments weren't very consequential as far as the overall broadcast, but Schultzy would go out of his way and I was trying to find the emails and I couldn't find them. But on, on a handful of occasions, he just sent me a note being like, like, Hey, like some, some version of like, Hey, darling, I just want to let you know that that work, that segment was so good. And, and just that recognition, that man had so much else on his plate. So many other people he could have, he could have sent emails to. And he went out of his way to do that for me. And, and very few you know, other people did in the industry, but he did. So I love you use that word because it 100% echoes my experience with him as well. Yeah, it was just from the moment that started. And you just, you always felt you had somebody kind of that had your back and that was watching out, that wanted not only the best, obviously, for our broadcast, because he was a perfectionist in that sense, but just somebody that wanted the best for you as a person as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a tremendous man. Yeah. He was, I feel that connect that big brother aspect you guys are speaking to in a totally different way because, and was just reminded of this 
recently, but when Kate and I got married, one of the surprises for us was that the CFL on TSN panel uh, produced a video and it was thrown to during our wedding. And uh, let's just be very clear that Chris Schultz was the big brother in that video, <laughs> making it very clear that if Kate McKenna, for whatever reason, appeared on TV without her rings, and it was my fault that there would be some consequences to pay, <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying. So certainly, yeah, he was a protector on the field and a protector off the field for sure, um, and will be missed uh, in both aspects. I, I want to, you know, dive into your relationship, you know, with the sport and with the field. And what is it? Did did you have a relationship to football when you were young? And if so, what was it? Just that I loved watching it. My dad. I mean, I always say that. Um, football is the reason that I wanted to get into sports broadcasting and then anything else that we would sit and we would watch um, games together the time. And I would see there be hosts, but more sideline um, reporters sort of thing that would be down there. And I used to think that'd just be so amazing to be able to be right where the action is. And, and football, I mean, I, I one of two girls in the family and nobody, my dad, I mean, played uh, football growing up and in university, but that was it. I mean, we didn't have this big connection to it. It was just, there's something about the game that I fell in love with at an early age and that, and that inspired me to want to pursue this uh, career more so than any other sport involved. And in. I just, there was something there and my love for football, whether it be, you know, three or four down um, is still remains right now. There is nothing as you two can appreciate. So there's nothing better than being at a stadium. I find, I mean, I spend most of my time in a rink now. I mean, for large portions, just given uh, what the hockey schedule is like, but there's just something about being at a football game in a stadium. That's just completely different. And yeah, from a young age, that was, that was what made me want to pursue this. You talk about a love of the sport and seeing sideline reporters doing their thing and wanting to do that. Was there anyone in particular that you you looked to as an example or was it more just sort of the sport broadly that appealed to you? It was the sport broadly. I mean, like when I'm trying to think of um, different women that would watch, uh, whether it be Bonnie Bernstein or at the time, I think later on, um, Melissa Stark ended up doing Monday night football and just different women that you recognized as being in kind of prominent roles. But I think it was just, it was, it wasn't that I gravitated to something because there were specific women that I was watching that fired me. I do think it was just, there was something about the sport, the coverage that just interested me so much. So male or female, I've always said that I think that I've, I've looked up to, um, I've looked up to both throughout my career. Uh, and I think that as much as I, I've given more thought to representation in recent years than I ever did before, but I just think that I looked at a lot of people just whose careers I kind of wanted to emulate more than um, just whether they were men or women. So you're synonymous with some of that representation in football and certainly at TSN now, but my first interaction with you up close was when you were working for the score and specifically, you know, coming out of university, I was interning and I was helping out the Vanier Cup. It was the first time the score had it. And you were hosting. I don't know if you remember this. You were the hosting coldest Vanier ever. The, the, the coldest day potentially ever. <laughs> it was the coldest week ever. 
Um, and and I, I, I was just there kind of trying to soak up as much. But 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 you were there hosting outside of, and and I, I remember um after talking to you know my coach at the time, uh Larry Haler, who's originally a Saskatchewan bold boy, so he knows the cold. And he's like, That's Sarah Orleski. She's out there in the cold the whole time. The coaches were complaining, asking for blankets. She wasn't, she's one tough cookie and she knows her football. And it was my first lesson in in our business, not just what you do on camera really matters and resonates. It's how you comport yourself off camera. And so I learned a lesson in a way from you. What, what, what do you remember about those times in, in that early er stage in your career? Um, well, okay. So let's specifically talk about that game because it is something, I don't know if there are many games that I have been involved with that seem to have connected more with people <laughs> than that venue because, and I've been through a lot of cold games in my CFL sideline career. It was so painfully cold. And all I really, what I remember most about it was that, so the heaters did work. We were not allowed to have the heaters on them because they were so loud anytime we were on camera. So you had to turn them off early enough that they would quiet down before you went on. And my legs would just start shaking like, violently. I'd ha if I had my legs crossed, the top leg up and down, just to the point that Brian Doby, I remember going, are you sure you're going to be okay? No, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. This is great. No, this is... <laughs> and so that's over everything. I could not tell you be honest, who won that Vanier? All I remember was thinking, this is so cold. And for some reason, I don't know if it's because I did that game, people seem to think that I love really cold events and temperatures, <laughs> and I don't. And I constantly say, it would be so wonderful if at some point in time, I am painfully pale. I hate being in the cold, despite living in Winnipeg. It'd be so great if someone sent me to even an event in which it was around 20 degrees, not minus 20 or minus 40, which is what they do. But back to, okay, bigger picture with being at the score. One of the things that I had loved in about those times was just I mean, learning from so many people and having had the opportunity to um, to work in a variety of different areas, uh, but also in terms of different sports, everything, but also just given some freedom to try to, whether it be with the way that you constructed stories because you didn't have the same sort of constraints as before, the, the different people that you would meet. And I just, I hold that time um, in such high regard with everything. And you think of, you mentioned, I mean, a number of the people both in front and behind the camera that we continue to still work with now, or that, you know, score alumni are everywhere across the Canadian media landscape. Um, but I just think that having had the opportunity to work on something like the Vanier Cup specifically, one thing that it did teach me was how much I enjoyed um, having the opportunity to try something other than just doing reporting from uh, taped reporting from an event and hosting. And it gave me my first taste of it. And it said, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been something that has been key to me throughout the years. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you say that because there's a narrative that, you know, while in sports, women are limited to the sidelines, at least in terms of, you know, in the field, on camera work. And the sidelines is some 
place that you've thrived, quite frankly. Um, how, how do you, you feel about the narrative that that role potentially could be somewhat limiting? Well, I think that I take a lot of pride in um, sideline reporting. I also recognize that it is more limited in what you're able to do. And sometimes there you're able to be on a lot and contribute a lot. Other times you're not. Um, but I think that the perception of women in any of those sideline reporting rink side, like any of those sorts of roles is changing a little bit because you are seeing women that are becoming, whether it be analysts or doing play by play or, and so I think that the opportunity is there to see women in roles beyond just what was kind of the stereotypical role. Cause yeah, I mean, I would, again, growing up wanted to be a sideline reporter that was just, and I didn't really think about anything else. And not that I, not that I aspire to be an analyst or anything like that. And I hold the people that do those roles and have that experience in such high regard. But I just think that there's more opportunity now um, for women in all sorts of roles. I mean, think about the women that we see throughout the different leagues now that are coaching, not just from a broadcasting standpoint, but in coaching. I just think that the perception is starting to change a little bit. But I do, I approach, when I do sideline reporting for CFL, I approach it, I mean, I take it really seriously. And I also think that sometimes you don't always see what, a sideline reporter is doing. I've always said that it doesn't matter to me if the information comes from me, if I'm able to relay information up to our booth and the guys are able to say it, or I'm able to provide different context for them. Um, even if I don't get on TV saying it, as long as somebody knows it and I can contribute to it, I don't associate the value of the role strictly based on necessarily what you see on TV. One of the things I've always respected about you, Sarah, is your authenticity. So the way you deliver questions, the way you dress, you just fully seem like yourself on camera. Have you ever felt pressure to be someone you're not? Uh, oh, yes, definitely. I mean, let's be honest, Kate. If I was being truly authentic, I would have my hair up in a top knot. I would probably be in a hoodie. <laughs> I definitely would not have makeup on. <laughs> so, so there's certainly, there's, there's different pressures that go along with it. And I think that especially when I was um, younger and I wasn't quite as comfortable in being my own skin as I am now. And um, I felt different sorts of pressures when I did, but I also felt when I started covering. So when I started covering the CFL, I would have been 23 and I was the only female generally that was at any games and I would walk into a locker room post game and I used to joke. So I covered the BC lions that was based in Vancouver and I would walk into whether it be home or visitors. And I could tell you exactly. I used to say how many squares were on the ceilings in terms of ceiling tiles because walk in and I would just feel uncomfortable. I mean, back then, again, it wasn't as common to have women in there. And so you were more likely to get comments. You were more. And so I made, I made sure that I was constantly, I was dressed super professionally. I always, my, but my eyes were always at the ceiling while I was waiting for people. Cause I just wanted to make sure that there was no potential issues that could arise in terms of players making comments or anything like that. Um, but as I've gotten older, a, I think the the atmospheres around the rooms have changed. 
Um, but I've also, I've just gotten more, yeah, I have gotten more comfortable with myself, but I feel as if it's really important to me. And I mean, I'm coming at this as a 40 year old mom that, you know, I, I always joke, go, but I'm a cool mom, but cool mom as in that SNL skit, like (laughs) not cool at all. Um, But I come at it as many that I think that um, I want to present myself in a way in which either young girls, young women, even when moms or dads, but when mothers, because I think we can be incredibly judgmental towards and just very tough on, um, on other women that I think that I want people to look and say that I hold myself and I present myself in a way that just, that looks very professional. And that's Mm -hmm. just something. And I carry myself that way that, and, and it's different things for different people, but I just feel as if for me, that's something there's nothing I take greater pride in than when women will stop me and say, Oh, my daughter loves you. And Oh, I love that my daughter's watching you or she wants you like you. And I just, that to me means, means a lot um, for it. So I feel as if then I'm, I'm presenting myself in a way that's authentic to me, but then also is somebody that, um, you know, the, the people don't mind having their kids look up to. And that's, that's important to me. Cause I think that sometimes, especially with the way that things are in this day and age and the way that, you know, the entertainment culture has kind of taken over and with various things, I just think if, um, for me to, yeah, for me to present myself as a role model and for kids to have a role model, I think is a, something that I take seriously. Well, first of all, you are a cool mom, Sarah Orleski. So please <laughs> do not call no, yourself no, anything but. <laughs> Take the compliment, Sarah, okay? From one mother to another. Um, but I'm glad you brought up the motherhood piece because I see your Instagram. I see your Twitter. I see the travel that pre-COVID you were doing. And now that we have a child, I'm thinking to myself, how on earth is she doing it? So, you know, you talk about mentorship. If, if, if I'm a young woman looking to get into this industry who wants to do what you do, but also wants to have a family, how do those two things coexist? Um, well, I think it changes depending on, obviously, on what your role is, right? And what your, what your career, not demands, but just schedule are. I mean, my schedule is going to be very different from what an anchor schedule is or from various, but we all have, I mean, you guys can appreciate much just how our schedules can all, can all vary. Um, I think that things have gotten better in terms of trying to be a mom and balancing things. I think that I've made a concerted effort to at times emphasize that I am not willing to dedicate 24 seven to this job that it is important. And we always talk now, especially emphasize, I mean, mental health and wellness and balance. And, you know, do I have a good balance? Probably not. It could still, (laughs) depends who you ask. If you ask my daughter and my husband, they'll probably tell you, no, I think I'm making strides with it. It's a work in progress, but I think that, um, I think that you can do both for sure. You can. And like I said, I think that the, um, 
but I think that it's changed now and that people are understanding, especially with more women in, because I just think that there's so many things that if you just have men around that they don't necessarily always think of. And Donovan, you might think of this all the time, which is great, but there's the number of times that I have to go, you know, it's not just easy for me to, I don't know, whip on camera because guys will like, so some of our, some of my male counterparts and various people back at TSN are fantastic, but I will say to them, they'll say, oh, well, if you can just hop on and do this on camera. And do you think that I can just hop on and do this on camera? No, you have to get my hair ready and get my makeup ready. And just for it. Again, my hair is in a top knot with no makeup. I can't just hop on camera for it. But I think that people have, and so I think that there was an adjustment at TSN. I feel as if there was an adjustment to having a mom um, do roles too. Because there just there haven't been many of us that have done it from a reporter standpoint. But I think that that I've felt so much more support from people back at TSN recently to be able to balance both and the importance of both. I think it's an area that made huge strides. And I don't know if necessarily before I would have felt the same way. I took so I took maternity leave. My daughter's eleven now, um, but. I had her at the end of August in 2009 and I was back on the road by October um, for CFL because I was so worried about potentially giving up an opportunity that if I missed the rest of the CFL season, how would that impact me going forward? Would I be taken off of great cups? Would I not get the, um, the football assignments that I was looking for? Because I always do the playoffs and then great cup. And so I felt I didn't get pressure from a single person at TSN to do it, but I felt internally that pressure of how is this going to impact my career if I'm not around for it? And I just feel as if now, um, now I would feel more comfortable, um, you know, kind of enjoying the maternity leave and enjoying that time and knowing that you can have it without necessarily your career being impacted negatively. But, and I think too, you point out the value of women having other women within the industry they can speak to. It's like, Hey, Sarah, when you went on mad leave, did you say, did you ask them this? There's just some comfort in that. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Yeah. No, you mentioned like Donovan, maybe you might consider these things. No, like I I honestly, like (laughs) we all have blind spots and different types of privilege. And I, I didn't, I, I spoke to, you know, mutual friend, Sherry Ford, not that long ago mm-hmm. and she she mentioned that she was the first woman on air that was pregnant at tsn i was like that must be like an accounting error you couldn't surely you couldn't be the first one but of course she was and it's just not something i ever would have thought of until you know the person who i share a household is with and love we through, share love right? yeah. well, not just a household <laughs> just to, just accounts. to clarify that yeah. <laughs> my roommate uh, <laughs> way to downplay it donovan <laughs> I wouldn't have been cognizant of it until I saw someone go through it. So in terms of, you know, kind of moving forward, because you, you mentioned the, the mentorship, whether it's visible or actual that you give lots of young women, right? It, whether it's in broadcasting or even working in football, they feel like I, I might not be able to have both. I have to choose. Um, what, what would you what would you say to them about being able to try to balance more than one thing and, and kind of juggle at all times? 
Well, I just, I think that you can do it and to recognize not to be too hard on yourself. And I know that, you know, at various points, um, at various points, Kate, you and I have discussed too, just about being too hard on yourself and thinking that you're failing in one area. You're not doing anything particular. Like the number of times that I've had over the years where I felt like I'm not doing anything particularly well. And so Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's so tough, but with that being said, I mean, it can be like that in so many careers. And I think that it's not only important to me for women to see that and girls to see that you can do this and have a family, but it's important to me for men to understand that you can do that as well, because there's still, there's so many men that are in areas that are decision makers um, that, and whether it's your colleagues, anything that just to see that, you are able to do both. And it's a different challenge for, I will say it, it's a different challenge for a mom than it is for a dad. I obviously, you know, that's coming from my perspective, but having, having had oh, numerous discussions, it's having had, perspective. Nu- it's a fact. <laughs> I was trying to, you know, I was trying to play it straight down the line for you. I didn't I, want to say I, Donovan, look. I, I've, I've never been uh, on a work call or doing research and have my son start to try and suck on my pectoral. So it's a hundred percent different. 100%. For it. I- <laughs> Follow that or less. The- Wow. I mean, I was going to talk about then you were going to lead me down a totally different direction, which let me tell you the number of times when I was because I was so I was you want to go down that road. I was on the road, as I said, two months after uh, my daughter was born. And so there I am on the sidelines when I'm on the sidelines for a seven o'clock game. I'm on the sidelines by about quarter after four in the afternoon. As glamorous as my life is right now, sitting in a women's washroom talking to you two, imagine trying to be a mom having to pump. You're trying to find a time. And when are you supposed to find a time? Because not only are you on the sidelines for the first two quarters, then you do your halftime interview going in. Well, you only have a few minutes because you got to be back on the field for the other team coming out of the locker room. And you have to pump, which women will be able to relate to in any way. And so you want glamour, trying to trying to find a spot in some of the CFL stadiums for privacy to quickly pump just is, uh, yeah, is a whole chapter in my book. <laughs> but the but one of the things, again, that I think is important is just people knowing that you can do it, but that it is different. And when I've spoken to, especially a number of colleagues on the hockey side that would be traveling a ton would say, look, it's, it's different if dad goes away for a couple of weeks versus mom going away. And the, I will sit in hotel rooms and I have a wonderful husband and he's a great dad, but I'll sit in hotel rooms and I would read to my daughter or I would be like, okay, let's FaceTime. And let's go over our math homework. Let's do this. Let's, you know, it just, it's just different, but I think that it's getting better. And I think that if everyone recognizes that, that it's just, it can happen, things might need to change from just the conventional way that we've always thought about doing things, but there's certainly, there's such a space for mothers. And I think it gives you a totally different perspective. I mean, whether you're a mother or a father, I think, um, on things. Once you have a child, I think that your perspective on so many things changes. And I think it's made me more empathetic 
um, when dealing with, when dealing with athletes. Cause I think it's very easy to forget sometimes that athlete, that professional athletes in particular, I mean, they're just, they're people too. And so the hardships that they're going through, I try to be very cognizant and respectful when I'm asking questions to recognize that these are not to say that they're, cause I don't want to present it as if I'm asking softball questions, but just try to present it in a way that recognizes that, you know, that they can be going through, they can be going through stuff too. It's so I'm going to be a book nerd for a minute, Sarah, because I know you appreciate book recommendations and now I'm going to forget the title, but it's so interesting that you say that because so often I think motherhood can be framed as a, um, a negative thing when it comes to work. It's like, how am I ever going to balance both? And what this book is arguing um, is that motherhood can actually be an incredible professional asset. And you just reminded me of that. Like your, your empathy has gone up. You know, presumably you ask question, better questions maybe because you're seeing these people as human. Um, so I just felt like that was important to throw in because I know that you, like me, are, are a book nerd. I sure am. Well said. I mean, listen, thank you for sharing your perspective and your changing perspective with us. And thank you for everything you do, both seen and unseen, and even from the women's washroom. Uh, you're certainly a change maker in our industry, and we both are beneficiaries of it. So thank you, Sarah. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It was such it was such a pleasure. As I said immediately, as soon as I heard that Kate was on, I was in. And Donovan, too, of course. <laughs> and Donovan. Don and Donovan. Don Don <laughs> I, I feel like this is just going to lead to a spinoff where you guys have your own podcast. Which I wouldn't be for. mad about it. I wouldn't be mad about it. Uh, episode one of Where to Pump. Um, <laughs> thank you, ladies. Appreciate you. Listen, normally I say at this point, because as you know, I love cliches. Oh, I could have talked to that person forever. And although that's true, you literally can and do talk to Sarah Oleski forever. There's some good content that didn't make the podcast because they just kept talking. But thank you, Sarah Oleski, for being so willing and gracious with your time. If you want some of her thoughts on Twitter, at Sarah Oleski is the follow. And maybe, Kate, a future podcast between the two of you? Listen. We were talking about pumping. We were talking about pregnancy. We were talking about all the things. And we decided that we should host a podcast called The Pump and Dump. So if you're interested, let them know on Twitter and we'll see what we can work out with Sarah. Maybe pump fake, like bring it into the football realm. Are you mansplaining me what the title of our podcast called Pump and Dump should be? Okay, so I'm just going to get out of the way and maybe we'll have some more female takes on this podcast Coming up, our conversation with Christina, Gemma, and Ariel on the web. So thank you, all of you, for joining and providing your unique perspectives, but also there's some commonality in your stories. And I want to start at the beginning of the story. Maybe I'll start with you, Ariel. What was your relationship to the sport of football and really Canadian football when you were young? Well, I mean, I grew up in Saskatchewan, so you have to kind of start there, right? That that there's just football, uh, Canadian football, Saskatchewan Rough Rider football, just all around all the time, right? So, um, so I grew up in this place where football was really synonymous for, with being from Saskatchewan and, and really 
woven into this fiber of this province. And, and it's one of the coolest things I think to grow up in is, is to watch people really identify where you're coming from with the football team, you know, and, and I've really seen that um, as I've, as I've grown up and as I've, you know, grown in this role is that, you know, especially people who move away really identify with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And so um, I would say I actually, though, given all that, I mean, I was very aware of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but given all that, I actually came into football late in my life. I would say for most people, I was, I was in my late teens um, and I just decided I needed to figure out what all the fuss was about. And, and God bless um, a couple of my friends uh, in about 2004, they just said, come sit with us for the games and ask any question that you possibly comes to your mind about football and we'll answer it and we'll make sure that you understand what's going on. And it kind of sparked from there. And, and when I say I asked every possible question, and maybe this was the early indication that I was going to become a journalist and, and eventually go into communications, but I asked everything from like, why do linemen have to be so fat to, you know, like what, what does this penalty mean? And, and all of that kind of thing. Right. So it really ran the gamut, but I had these really patient friends who were really um, invested in, in me learning about football. And then I kind of took it from there. It's, it's in my nature to kind of, I read and I research a whole bunch and, uh, and, and really just kind of fell in love with it in my own, in my own respect. Um, first Jersey was Weston Dressler in case you were wondering. Good to know. Uh, that's a good, it's a great start. Uh, and in case some of the linemen on your team are, are listening, obviously you meant big bones, not, not fat yeah. necessarily. Well, I, and, and, you know, and that's the thing that I, I learned kind of as I got more into the sport, you know, is that they're, they're so strong in their own respect. Right. So, so this is 19 year old Ariel, not understanding the sport whatsoever. Um, and, and, and really, I mean, uh, and I mean, no offense to any of the quarterbacks, receivers or defensive backs listening right now, but I really understand um, now and appreciate now how important an offensive lineman and the defensive line are and, and really how they are the anchor of, of the football team. And I have so much respect for what they do. 100%. Other than the quarterback, the smartest people on the field are often the linemen, uh, which is why I was not one. Uh, <laughs> Gemma, what was your introduction to the sport? Because you're at a place where you're covering lots of sports. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Bobsled can talk about that. Um, <laughs> talk lots of me? former CFLers, bobsledding. That's true. I did a story on that earlier. Uh, was that this year? I don't know. Everything runs together. Time <laughs> is a flat circle. All those things. Um so I was first introduced to football. My, I grew up in Edmonton and my mom had season tickets to the, the um, Edmonton football team when I, when I was growing up. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I just remember, I remember going to games with her and with my family and, and just um, the excitement that existed in Commonwealth Stadium and uh, the absolute uh, amazing show that was on display on the field of, of strength and of character uh, and I think I've always been inspired by that not just in football but uh, in sport in general. Um, I was in news for a long time uh, before I moved to sports um, not only for CP but for other newspapers across the country and really really loved that job loved being a journalist uh, but when the sports job came available I thought that sounds cool. Like I'll, I'll see if I can even get it. And when I did, uh, it was, I, I still say that it's the, the greatest change I've ever made. Um, because 
I'm so lucky to get to talk to professional athletes for a living. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm one of a a very small handful of people who gets to watch live sports right now. Um, It's, it's the coolest job on the face of the planet. I like, don't tell anybody, but I really, really like what I do for work. And Mm -hmm. I'm constantly amazed that they pay me to do it. Well, it's, it's funny you talk about transitioning between news and sports. One of the people that we love reading and watching here is Mina Kimes, who mm-hmm. also really successfully transitioned over from, from the world of business and news to sports. Yeah, I sure. made that transition myself too, actually, as well. Like really yes. early, I started as a news reporter and then I moved into sports and, and now I'm with the team, obviously, but it's such a, it is, it's such a rewarding transition and it's such a cool thing to be able to to say that you do for a living and then to be, you know, you're one of a handful of people, as you say, that get to do this job for a living. And then you're a handful of, in a handful of women who get to do that position as well. Yeah. And Christina, you've had the benefit of covering not just football, but, but other sports in general for you, what was your first introduction to the game? Yeah. So when I was a kid, I grew up in a very, very, very small town outside of Hamilton And Hamilton is very similar to Saskatchewan in the sense that people live and breathe the Tiger Cats. So I was a Tiger Cats fan growing up. um, And it was mostly my dad that kind of introduced myself and my brothers, but I was the one who kind of like decided that that was my favorite sport. Like we kind of watched everything. We were a NASCAR family. My dad and my brother's drag race. So I was watching like IHRA also going to the drag strip. We watched hockey. We did literally anything you can think of, but I just remember like loving the CFL so much and in particular the Ticats. Um, and then I didn't actually go to my first game. I think I, I was probably a teenager by the time I got to go to my first game and I went with my brother and it was amazing and I was hooked. Um, but yeah, I just decided that, you know, I wanted to work in a space that I loved and I, I, di- I didn't have to do the news thing like the, my fellow friends here. Um, I actually got this job right out of school as an intern. Um, so, which was really, really great. I was super, super fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and then I just kind of stuck around after my internship and here I am, like, I think five years later, I think I'm going on five. <laughs> You're clearly a gold star intern. I mean, yes, you can ask JR. He, he was the one who hired me. But yes, I, I would guess I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say it feels like such a treat to be talking with three other people who work in the league who also happen to be women. Um, because, you know, in the spaces that I've worked in, be it the Ticats, be it the league office, be it TSN, I've worked with some incredible women and men. But the truth is there's just been more men than women. So have there ever been moments um, where you wish there have been more women around? And I guess, Gemma, I'll start with, I'll start with you on that one. Definitely. Um, I think, especially when I was pregnant. Uh, so I was like nine months pregnant and at the end of the 2019 season. And it was just like a lot, a lot of jokes about like how big I was. And, and I know it's all good natured. I feel like so many of these people, um, look at me as like a little sister but I'm just so big and so tired and I just (laughs) want to do my job and go home I don't want to talk about like I don't know um how swollen I look or like how much (laughs) it's gonna hurt like I know it's gonna hurt um um, I I just feel like men probably didn't treat it with as much grace as maybe a a an actual someone who had been through it would have. Um, so that was one time where I was like, oh, 
like you're all wonderful, but I would also like if there was a lady around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ariel, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think all the time. I always wanted there to be more women. And I just think because women deserve and belong in this space. And so, I mean, I can't think of an example where like, I thought, oh my God, I wish this moment a woman was here. I just think that that was something that I always wanted for our league and for sports reporting in general. I think, um, you know, I think um, I really benefited. And I I, I think in some cases, women can tell more nuanced stories. Um, and, and I'll tell you in, I'll tell you in, in my experience covering the Rough Riders for three years, I feel like in, in a lot of cases, I got better stories than my male colleagues. And I think it's because um, to a certain extent, men are willing to open up a little more, um, open up a little bit more about their feelings to a woman than they are to another man. So I was able to tell, I think stories, you know, that, that set me apart from my male colleagues, but those are the stories that I think when you, when you talk about attracting a casual fan, um, you know, those are the stories that matter. And those are the stories that really make the CFL what they are is when you really get to talk about who the players are as a person and, and who they are kind of outside of, um, you know, outside of the the football fields. And um, I, I will talk about this till the, you know, the, the cows come home. I, I got to tell a really marvelous, um, touching, beautiful story about Ed Ganey um, becoming a father for the first time and what he was afraid of and, and what that meant to him and, and, and how hard it was to be in Canada while his, uh, his, his girlfriend's due date was getting closer and closer and closer. And um, it was just this, I'm still so proud of that story to this day, but it was a story that none of my colleagues were doing, was doing right at the same time. And, and so I just think there's such a, there's such a great space or there's a, there's an empty space when you don't have women in, in these markets and telling stories, because, um, I, I think, I think we just bring something different. It's, it sounds like what you're, what you're talking about is, is really leaning into your difference. I think sometimes we can think of our Mm -hmm. difference as being a deterrent, but really it's an asset. Right. And I think that's what you're Mm -hmm. highlighting. And I also love that you mentioned something that you're proud of and you didn't mention it with any sort of caveat. It's just like, I did this great story. I did this great piece of work and I'm so proud. And I think there is sort of this lucky to be here feeling that exists sometimes where you need to just downplay what you've done. Um, I also love the fact she mentioned she was better than her male counterpart. Yeah, I love that was a part of <laughs> But, but Christina, you know, have there, and I'm, I realize I'm pivoting the question a bit, but I just love where Ariel took that. Have you done, I know you have done, so I'm going to reframe it. What work have you done that you're especially proud of in this space? I mean, for me, I think every single piece that I've ever done, I'm proud of because like we've all kind of said this, I'm lucky to do what I do. I'm lucky to get to talk to professional athletes and write stories. Um, whether it's when I was doing stuff with the Maple Leafs or stuff with, um, the CFL, like I'm lucky every single day, but I would say like the things that I'm most proud of might not be my actual written work. Like I love the stuff that we're doing behind the scenes in the league office, whether it's coming up with an idea for this podcast, um, a video series or whatever it may be, just the stuff that we're doing on the content team to me, that stuff I'm so, so, so proud of. Um, I just love working with all the people that I work with. And I think that everyone's so incredibly talented and it kind of pushes me to be better as well. Um, So every single project that I feel like I'm working on, I'm getting better and better and better. So I can't think of a specific thing, but I just think everything that I've done, I'm so, so proud of. And I really, truly am very lucky and happy and 
to have this position and to be doing what I love every day. Well said, you know, Gemma, Kate mentioned, you know, really leaning into, you know, what makes you different and, and using it as an asset. I kind of call it a superpower. Um, and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, your experience uh, having a, a young child. And I, I wonder, because I know for me, it's given me greater perspective. And a lot of the work I'm proud of has happened post his birth. And, you know, my relationship with him, it's not close to the relationship that he has with my wife. So for you in your work, has your work changed? Has your viewpoints changed? Has it created a space where you've done things that you're really proud of post being a mom? That's a good question. Um, I think that it's definitely changed. I, I think I see the future in a different way now. Um, and I, I want to make the future better for her, um, especially because she is uh, a, a little girl growing up in uh, such a crazy world. And I'm sure that you have the same feeling about your son. There's so much uncertainty about the future. And um, I want sport to be a safe place for her and for all kids. Um, it hasn't always been, and I think things have gotten better, but there are still so many barriers and so much um, that we can do to make it better. I want her to be able to, to play whatever game she wants without thinking about her gender or um, or anyone's skin color or any of those things that have traditionally been barriers for others in the past. And so the more that I can write about people doing cool work in those spaces and, and looking to break down those barriers, the more I'm doing to make the world better for her. You know, you talk about making improvements and, and, you know, getting to a place that where she can work in whatever leagues or play whatever sports. I'm curious to know, and Ariel, I'll start with you, your thoughts sort of on, on allyship. And when we talk about moving the needle in terms of making this league or making professional sports a better place for women to work, how much of that do you think falls on the shoulders of the men who, who are in positions of power? Absolutely. It does. And, and I will say, um, I feel, you know, Christina talked about feeling incredibly lucky to do the work that she does. And I have to say, I feel incredibly lucky to do the work that I do. And I think it takes really, um, I'm, I mean, I'm the only woman in my role across the country as the director of communications. Um, and I think it takes a really, um, I don't know, visionary is too big of the word, but certainly progressive leadership to want to put a woman in a role like this. I mean, I am in the, you talk about being in the locker room. I'm in the locker room, you know, after every game and I'm around the players all the time. And, and I'm, you know, and I'm working with football ops and I'm working on the business side. And, and I just think that there are um, organizations out there that would not have ever considered putting a woman in this role. And that's reality. And I think that that's, I think that that's too bad because I think that again, I think we women have so much to offer in these spaces. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it's gonna sound like I'm sucking up a little bit, but I mean, like, I really do give a, a, a huge amount of accolades to, to Craig and to Jeremy O'Day for, for considering me for the role that I'm in, because it, it really, uh, I am lucky and I know that I'm lucky. Um, and so, yes, I do think that it's, it's, it's vital. I mean, it's vital for, for the men in our league to see women as capable of these roles and not consider some of the some of the old school garbage that would have made them consider me not being okay for this role, whether it's being in the locker room or, or whatever those, those old school frame frames of references are. Um, and so it's, it's important, but I also, you know, I think of 
what's my, and I, I still think of what's my role in this space and how can I bring more women into this industry and, and how can I encourage more women to, to want to be in this space? So yes, 100%, um, men have to, have to be on board and have to be willing to bring women in. But I also, because I've been given this amazing opportunity, also feel like it's my responsibility to pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. And, and, you know, this idea that now you can pay it forward to women, to women of color, to people who haven't traditionally totally. been able to access these spaces. Absolutely. Um, Christina, I, I'm, I kind of want to wrap up by, by asking, I'll start with you and then, and then all of you, what would you tell women who want to enter this field? What would you tell them to be prepared for, for better or for worse? I think Ariel made some good points about, you know, the team level, because you are with the players all the time and you are, you're in the mix, you're in the locker room, um, whatever it may be. But for me, like for my role, I don't feel like I've had maybe as many barriers to cross as her. Um, and I think that's obviously good for myself, but I don't like that I'm even thinking that way, you know? Like, I wish that there was a time when women can just be like, I'm qualified for this job and it doesn't matter either way. Um, in terms of barriers, I mean, I think for the good things is that the CFL for me has been a really, 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 really inclusive place. Um, I can't even think of one instance where I felt out of place, like I didn't belong. Um, there are times, of course, when I'm in the locker room and I, I realize that I'm the only woman. Um, but in terms of me actually executing and doing my job at the league office, um, I don't feel that way. And so I would tell people just go for it. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm super lucky that everyone that I work with has never made me feel like an outsider or excluded, even, you know, fans on Twitter or fans when I'm at a stadium, whatever it may be. I don't think I've ever actually felt like the outsider as a woman. Um, I just feel like I'm Christina who works on the content team, which has been honestly super great. Um, I've only been in this industry for five years. Like I said, I, I, I joined the CFL right out of school as an intern. So I haven't had many opportunities to see how other leagues and other teams work. Um, but when it comes to the CFL, I've had nothing but really, really great experiences. So I would tell anyone that wants to get into the CFL world, like, please do. Um, it doesn't matter your gender. I think that people are, are basing your qualifications on why you're going to get a position, not based on your gender. And Gemma, you know, you, you told us a little bit earlier about some comments that, that, you know, you, you faced as a, as a pregnant woman. So certainly you alluded to that, but, but for better or for worse, what, what do you think women should be prepared for? Should they want to get into the world of, of sports journalism? People are going to assume things based on the fact that you're a woman and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Um, first you can use it as an opportunity to prove people wrong, which is so much fun. Um, and second of all, like Ariel was saying earlier, you come at everything from a different perspective. Um, and whether that's that, uh, you see stories that that other people might not see, or you just, your life experience is different. You can use that to your advantage, um, to tell unique stories to um, approach people from a different way. You are different and that's so cool and so special and you should celebrate that and use that to your full advantage. I can feel that passion through the screen. It's amazing, it's amazing. And Ariel, you know, you mentioned being being the only in your role and, and, and a friend of mine uses the term Lanny Louie, first only different. And that is, that is you. So what would you tell uh, a woman who, who aspires to your level to be prepared for? Um, I don't, you know, I think you can, you can do it. 
that's what I would tell them. You can do it. You can absolutely do it. And, you know, I went in with all sorts of nerves and I went in with all sorts of wonder, you know, and deciding, you know, trying to figure out would I be accepted? Would it be okay? And it was the most normal thing in the world. And I think I did have the benefit of, of, um, I covered the team for three years before I made the transition to work for the team. And I think that, um, I, I built some good relationships in that process that probably helped, but I mean, I don't feel like, um, I'm any different in the sense that I don't think that, you know, I would be relied on any more or any less if I was a man. Um, I feel like the players trust me, the coaches, you know, I feel like I, I am trusted and my opinion is trusted. Um, I feel in a lot of ways that they're, um, you know, I have, I have one particular player who, um, when I first started with the team said, if anyone gives you any trouble, you tell me and I'll take care of it for you. Right. Um, and so, and so I, I think, you know, you, you might go in with these fears. You might think maybe I won't be accepted, but this league has been a blessing for me from the very first day. Um, and, and Christina said, you know, she never had any issues and I never, I never really did either. And, and then when I transitioned to this role, it was, was very welcoming and it seemed like very natural. So I think what I would just say is, you know, you can do it. So just do it. You can do it. Well, I'm so glad you three are doing it and continuing to do it. And I, I want to change that. You, you kind of mentioned Ariel that, um, you know, this league has been a blessing for you. I would argue that, you know, you three and women like you are a blessing for the league. And certainly I can say as a consumer and, and, and we both are as fans, um, you know, we benefit from the perspective and the coverage. And, you know, the motto for the league is diversity is a strength. That's certainly a great example here. Even this interview is a lot better because Kate asked most of the questions, quite frankly. <laughs> um, but as we kind of continue with, you know, some of the hard work uh, that you guys are doing, hopefully when we have, you know, these conversations, you know, in a couple of years, there'll be even more diversity within the women that we have in football. There'll be some great diversity. And so um, I'm so thankful that you guys are a big part of that. And thank you for sharing your perspective with us. What a trio. Thanks again to Ariel Zare. Give her a follow at Ariel underscore Zare, Z-E-R-R. Gemma Carson-Smith is at G Carson-Smith. And Christina Costable, you find her work all over the website at cfl.ca, but to give her a follow at K Costable one such good time chatting them. Before we wrap up, if there's a takeaway from our time with them for you, what would it be? Hmm, good question. That's what I do. My takeaway from my time with with all of these women is to is to be bold and to be unafraid and to just go for it. And not only that, when you get there, to make sure that you lift others up behind you. Well said. And I can speak working with Christina firsthand so confident, so prepared, and has such good ideas, many of which end up being on this podcast that I get the credit for, but they're really not mine, they're hers. Speaking of which, in terms of good content that we've got coming up on our site and our social channels, uh, Grey Cup On Demand Portal 1980s is now posted, so you can check out the games from when the decade we were born, which is kind of cool. Uh, CFL.ca, right there. We've got the 1989 thriller at the Skydome. Remember that building? Remember AstroTurf? Yeah, you're going to see it. Saskatchewan and Hamilton in the game. And this past 
Monday was the deadline for national prospects to submit video for the virtual combine. I've always felt, Kate, like the combine in general is a bit of a reality show, mm-hmm. right? And you, you love a reality I show. I do. But now it literally is one because they have to submit videos just to be evaluated similar to a reality show. Anyways, we're going to be talking about that on this very podcast and hopefully I'll be able to work in some reality show references. Like, for example, is this prospect in it for the money or is he in it for the right reasons. For the sake of your audience, I hope you do away with those comparisons. That's the type of content you're going to get in this very space moving forward. You're not going to get that type of sass from her moving forward as she was just doing us a great benefit this week. And if they want to follow you, I don't know why they would, but if they do, where can they find you? At underscore Kate McKenna on Instagram. Yeah, used to be at CFL Kate, but now she's a trainer. (laughs) There was a few iterations. This was fun. Thanks for having me. The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.